Come on, I'm excited to be here. What an amazing worship team. Oh, Jesus. How blessed are you? I love people who worship in the secret. Their secret place breakthrough becomes a corporate breakthrough. And we get to experience uh, what they have been faithful when no one's looking. Isn't that good? Come on, we just honor you guys. Thank you so much. That was beautiful. Love what you're carrying. Man, I know God loves Albuquerque and God loves this church. I know it because of the Bible tells me so. This I know, Jesus loves you. I also know it because one of my favorite human beings on the planet Earth, literally like a brother to me, for real, Paul Martini was sent here by God to pastor here. And um, we're in covenant. We've been in covenant for a long time. So uh, you get Paul, you get me too. So happy to be here for the first time probably of many times and um, very honored as well. Um, Alan, I've got to know Alan a bit and what a man of God. What a man of God. What a faithful man of God. And so I just want to say thank you for having me. Thank you to all the elders and the leaders who've persevered and overcome so much to, to give a place like this for us to enjoy. Come on. This is amazing. And there's been a lot of perseverance. I sense that. And there's depth in this church. I can feel it. I can feel the deep roots. Not everywhere I go. I get to preach in many places around the world because of the mercy and the grace of God. But not very many places I come have the depth. I just can feel the deep roots, the rooted in the word, rooted in love, uh, building your house upon the rock so that when the storms come, you're not blown about. And yes, it's been pruned, but I just feel like you're, you're set up for a season of extreme growth after your season of extreme pruning. So you're, I, I feel like this is perfect timing even for me to be here and contribute what God's placed on my life. Um, you know, I was saved. I'm from Newport News, Virginia, um, where you can throw a rock and hit three churches by accident. Churches everywhere. I grew up in a broken family. My family was divorced when I was two years old. And so I don't remember my mom and my dad being together. My dad was from a Christian background. My mom didn't really come from a Christian background at all. She actually got water baptized in the Baptist, in the Baptist church so that she could marry my dad in the Baptist church. But really, it's because she just loved my dad. And um, they ended up getting divorced. Mom would take us in and out of church uh, Christmas, Easter, some services. So I knew about Christ. At 11 years old, I made a decision to follow Christ um, at a Christmas service. I heard the simple gospel. And at 11 years old, I was convicted. I'm a sinner. I need to get saved. And I went for it. I was the only one to go for it at the altar call. And I remember at 11 years old, looking at Dr. Jim uh, White face. And it was like I was looking in the face of Jesus. He teared over because he got to lead me to the Lord. And, um, and it was beautiful. It was like I was looking in the face of Jesus. Went home, shut my door, and uh, began to pray by myself. And I heard the Lord for the first time, 11 years old. And he said, you need to start honoring your mother. See, as an as a 11 years old boy who my dad was my hero, I'm probably dishonoring her because I just want to be around dad too. I only got to see him on the weekends. Didn't realize it, but the first commandment with promise is that you would honor your father and mother, that you would have long life on the earth. Come on. 
And um, so the, the short story, um, the short version is, I, we never really went back to church for discipleship. So in my mind, my dad's example, he was a Christian but just didn't live that way. You know, he just didn't know what he didn't know. He was only walking in the light that he has. There's a lot of people that are out there that would call themselves believers, even Christians, but if you were to look at their life from God's point of view, they're not that much different than people who call themselves believers, unbelievers. Their life doesn't produce the fruit that a Christian's life should produce. They don't love God with all of their heart, all of their mind, all of their soul, and they're not, they're not evangelizing, they're not praying for the sick, that Jesus is incorporated into their life, he's not taking over their life. It's, it's less about relationship and more about, hey, this is culture. And that's kinda how my dad's faith was. He just didn't know what he didn't know. He had a strong faith, but didn't know what he didn't know. And so that was my example. So I got saved at 11 years old, but I didn't know what that meant totally. Between 11 and 18 years old, I had 18 felonies. I was in and out of juvenile detention. Actually, by the time I was 16 years old, uh, at 16 years old, I got in a bad car accident. I was thrown out of the back windshield of a car, um, 60 yards away from the car. I went flying through the, the window. I was uh, drinking really heavily at the time, and I was a fighter, very violent. I was angry, probably because of different stepdads in and out of my life, and just angry, looking for meaning and purpose and hanging around the wrong people to try to find that. Heart was broken over and over by different girls, and I even actually remember one particular story where I'm, I'm, I'm out of juvenile detention, but I'm on house arrest. Anybody seen a kid on house arrest? They got like an ankle bracelet on with like a big old block on it. And basically you're only allowed out of your house to go to church or to school. And uh, isn't that kind of funny? Jesus is, I'm only allowed to go to church to get out of my house. And uh, so he's pursuing us even when we don't know it, you know? And um, anyway, I'm on house arrest and um, I'm not even supposed to be going anywhere, but my girlfriend had been with this other guy and um, he was talking about her behind her back. And, um, and he was talking trash to me. And I remember I, I was an angry dude. I went to a soccer game to cool off because in Virginia, nobody plays soccer except for those who don't play football. <laughs> I love soccer now. My, my son plays soccer and I love to watch soccer, but like soccer was not for... Virginians where I'm from, you know, it's football or basketball, that's it, maybe baseball. And um, so I went to the soccer game to cool off and I remember I'm there and how many people know when you don't know the Lord and you're trying to stay out of trouble, trouble will find you. <laughs> Here I am watching the soccer game, trying to stay out of trouble and a rival high school pulls up with a bunch of guys and a girl in it and, uh, and they run on the field with togas on, nothing but togas, like the Roman togas, kind of streaking kind of thing, and they're sword fighting and just being kids, like young people, and I'm thinking these guys need to grow up, but I'm not gonna do anything about it. You know, I'm trying to stay out of trouble. Well, there was a guy on my school soccer team who knew I was a fighter, used to come to my keg parties, and he said, hey, Richie, my sister's in that crowd. Why don't you punch that guy in the face? And I'm thinking, I'm not gonna do that because I'm here to stay out of trouble, you know? But when they came by, I did say something to them, like, you need to grow up. And that's probably not what I said, but we're in church. I said something. And, um, you know, they started laughing at me. And like I said, when you don't know the Lord, you're not in control of yourself. The fruit of the Spirit is self-control. 
And, I, and they started laughing at me. And I know that some people are just talkers. They're not actually gonna do anything. And some people walk out where they're gonna say. And I took off my shirt. I walked up to the back of the truck and I said, laugh now. And they all went from laughing to stone face. Ain't nobody want any of that. Except for the guy in the front seat. He had a girlfriend beside him. And he didn't wanna be punked in front of his girlfriend. So he looked over at me and he thought about it and he laughed at me. I walked up, opened up the door. I said, laugh now. He made a bad choice. I hit him, and it was bad. His, his, his girlfriend's screaming, she calls 911, and immediately, you ever do something and immediately you're like, why did I do that? Oops. So long story short, I had to go back to juvenile detention. Uh, I got out two years later. Uh, not two years, I wasn't in there the whole two years, but I got out, and two years later, I'm painting. I got a job as a painter painting houses as a professional painter. And um, my first paint crew was a bunch of guys. If you've ever been around the trades, you know there's a lot of substance abuse in the trades. It's not a great job for a troubled person like myself to get involved with, but it's good paying money. And I got a job with these guys that, you know, um, are a bunch of addicts and just different issues in their life. And by the grace of God, I got switched to a different paint crew. My paint company had two crews. And this company, the crew that I got switched to was a bunch of radically saved black dudes. Got saved in jail and some of them got saved. They were drug dealers and got saved. And let me tell you, they'd pick me up at six in the morning blasting Kirk Franklin and wow gospel music, you know. Talking about Jesus said this and Jesus said that, brother, and Jesus healed sister such and such. And they just talk about Jesus, 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 Jesus all day from morning till night. Just talk about Jesus. Now, remember, I grew up in Virginia where you can throw a rock and hit three churches by accident. Christians are everywhere. And yet at that point in my life, I had never had one person outside of Dr. James White preach the gospel to me. I never remember at that point meeting anyone who was on fire for Jesus, who was unashamed of their faith, who wasn't just doing evangelism because they had to. They couldn't help themselves. They were in love with Jesus. Come on. How many people love Jesus with all their heart? (laughs) Hey, let me tell you what the evidence that we love Jesus with all of our heart is. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Come on. The overflow of a heart that's in love with Jesus is evangelism. If there isn't an overflow, then evangelism is still something you have to do. Then that's a discipline. And yes, maybe we have to repent and actually do something that we're not used to. But the reality is, if you receive the love of God to the point that you're overflowing, literally you're splashing, you're full of the love of God, you literally are drinking in the love of God and you're leaking everywhere you go and you can't help yourself. Evangelism is the natural overflow of a heart that's in love with Jesus. We're not concerned about what people think about us. Come on, we'll talk more about that here in a bit. These guys didn't care that I was hungover and didn't wanna hear their loud worship music. You know why? Because they were lost in the spirit. They were worshiping God from the moment that they woke up until they got to work. And then all day long, they were abiding in the love of God. Just like Jesus said in John 15, if you abide in me, then you'll bear fruit. But if you don't, you won't. Come on, you're good for nothing. Be thrown out and like sticks and burned. 
Come on, this is what Jesus said. They were abiding in the love of God. And when I saw them, there was something that they had. There was a joy, there was a peace that I didn't have. Their peace wasn't circumstantial. Their joy wasn't circumstantial. It was rooted in something. It was rooted in the rock. It was rooted in Jesus Christ. And they were, they were making me jealous for what they had. Yes, I would have told them I'm a Christian, but they would know that I really wasn't walking with the Lord. I didn't know the Lord. I was only walking in the light that I had. And the long story short, my mom was having a, a personal revival of her own. She'd come in and out of the church at different times. And, and um, you know, she, had, she was made to have an abortion when she was 14 and so by her mother. And so in her mind, the enemy had convinced her she was gonna go to hell. There's no, no way around it. And so she would take us to church sometimes so that maybe she could get her kids saved. But then at the Baptist church we went to, which I love the Baptist, the Baptist, God told me to go there. When the Baptists meet, we eat. It's fellowship before and after. There's, there's potlucks. Like, I love it. And you gotta learn how to be a family. And the Baptist taught me how to do family, how to eat together, how to break bread together. But I encourage you to get together around some of these dinner meals. This is the way that we'll disciple the nations through hospitality, honestly. And God sent me there to learn that. And he also sent me there to get a foundation in the word, to memorize the word. So I love my Baptist people, but these particular people in this church, my mom had a big D on her chest that means divorced and disqualified. Plus you're a woman. Plus, you know, you'll never be able to, you know, get but so far in your relationship with God because of what you've done. They didn't understand. They were only walking in the light that they had. So mom was kind of in and out, you know. But she discovered Joyce Myers. And Joyce Myers was perfect for my mother, you know. And she got a green application study Bible, like those women's study Bibles. She bought me one. And she gave it to me, like a paperback, green woman's application study Bible. I didn't even know where to start, so I just opened it up right to the middle. The first book I read was the book of Job. And I love the book of Job, man. I, to this day, I love the book of Job. It was awesome. Loved it. And um, I just began to read the Bible a little bit, and I'd start to, in, uh, you know, engage in some of the conversations at work, you know. And, and it was one day I was crossing the Coleman Bridge, which is the bridge that connects Gloucester, Virginia, and Yorktown, Virginia. Yorktown, for those who are historians would know, is where the United States won our independence. And in the morning, I would cross the bridge, and I would see the sun rising in the morning. It was beautiful. And for three days, it was like I'd never seen the sunrise before. It was like, oh my gosh, it's so beautiful. And every day was more beautiful than the next. And when I would come home, it would be setting on the other side of the river. Psalm 19 says, day unto day, utter speech, night unto night, knowledge. The sun is like a bridegroom coming out of its chamber, running its race from one end of heaven to the other end, nothing's hidden from its heat. Goes on to talk about how creation is testifying all over the world about the reality of God. And that's what happened to me. I was looking at that sunset and all of a sudden I realized one evening, there's so much pain. I've been through so much pain. My family's been through so much pain. I'm looking around, there's pain everywhere. There's no guarantee that I, I'm gonna live a fulfilled life. I almost died already multiple times. And I, I had this thought, the fish in this river were created for a purpose. And number one, if they're on the bank, they're not gonna live because they were created to swim. Number two, they're not gonna be fulfilled because they don't have legs, they have fins. It was a simple revelation that came to me. And all of a sudden it came to me, hold on. Jesus, I believe you died on the cross. I believe you resurrected from the dead. I believe you're God. 
And not only that, I believe that you created me for a purpose and I'm guaranteed to live a fulfilled life. You're looking at my heart right now. Right now, I fully surrender my life. I know I can't do it on my own. God, I want to fully fulfill the plan you have for my life. Save me, lead me, guide me. And the moment I said that, the only thing I could describe, it's like all of heaven broke loose in my pickup truck. Like somebody poured 10,000 gallons of liquid love over me. And I was radically born again on the spot. A different person. I mean, immediately I started pulling over, picking up homeless people, picking up hitchhikers. I buy them a cheeseburger. I didn't even know too much of the Bible in the early days. I buy them a cheeseburger, share my testimony in John 3:16 with them. Right out the gate, and I was leading people to Christ every day. From the moment I got saved, I'd go into Walmart, open air preach at Walmart. I learned the Romans road. I'd open air preach at Walmart. Why? My life had been changed. I'm a new man and I wanted everybody to know what I knew. I was on fire for Jesus. I love Jesus with all my heart because I know what it's like to live without him. Now I know what it's like to live with him. It wasn't something I had to do. I couldn't help myself but to do it. Come on. Ended up going to that Baptist church. I walked through the door. I do my first Bible study. And they were reading the book of John, John chapter one. And I'm thinking, these guys are only gonna read one chapter. They finished reading this one little portion of the chapter that they're focusing on and they're gonna end it there. And I'm like, no way. How do you stop at one chapter? Please, somebody. I had never read the word like that before. My eyes had been opened and now the word, the Bible wasn't just words in a book. It was the word of God. It was living. It was breathing to me. It's like God himself was speaking to me. And I'm like, no way. Can we read some more? Somebody stay with me and read. Two people stay with me. And a guy named Andrew Fish and a, guy, a lady named Catherine Oder. And we shut down the church. Literally, the janitor's um, came in, one janitor, and he said, hey guys, it's really late, it's like midlight. I wanna go home and be with my wife and kids. Can you guys like continue your Bible study across the street at, Wa at Waffle House? <laughs> Kicked us out of the church. We go across the street to the Waffle House. We're like reading, just ripping through the book of John, you know, and suddenly the girl looks up at me, Catherine, she says, hey Richie, a few years ago, were you at a soccer game and you punched somebody in the face? <laughs> oh, no. And I'm thinking, oh no. This girl has blonde hair, that girl has, and I was like, oh, I was so embarrassed. She said, oh, don't worry about it, Richie. She tapped me on the shoulder. That day I started praying for your soul. I say all that story just to encourage you, if you're praying for a lost loved one, if you're praying for a lost friend, don't quit praying. If you don't quit, you'll win. If you'll pray every day, if you'll pray with persistence, when Jesus talked about prayer, he talked about persistence. If you'll keep knocking and don't quit knocking, you'll not only see breakthrough in their life, but the more that you pray for the lost, say pray for the lost. The more you pray for the lost, the more that God will impart his heart for the lost for you. Every amazing evangelist starts off in a place of prayer. We win souls through our tears in the secret place. God wants to move the body of Christ at large, not just evangelists. People say, Rich, you have the gift of evangelism. I say, no, you need to read the Bible. There's no such thing as a gift of evangelism. You can't find it anywhere in the Bible. You can find that Jesus ascended to heaven and gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, next verse, for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. It doesn't say the gift of evangelists, it says the office of the evangelist. And its purpose is to equip who to do evangelism? Say the saints. That's you. So if I'm an evangelist, then my role is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. 
See, evangelism isn't something that just evangelists do. It's what believers do. I believed in my heart, therefore I say speak. Come on. If you believe in your heart, then you will become the word, living. You are the light of the world. It's your identity. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do they light a lamp and place it under a basket, but they put it on a lampstand that it would give light to all who are in the house. Listen, say I am the light of the world. You were born to be a living epistle read by all men, according to the Apostle Paul. Literally, literally, the law no longer written on stone. You are a living epistle, the law written on human hearts. He's written his law, the law of love. Love God with all of your heart, mind, and soul, and your neighbor as yourself. If we love God with all of our heart, evangelism's the natural overflow. Man, I'm, I'm, I, I feel this burden in my heart to, to just stir up the body of Christ into good works of preaching the gospel. The, listen, it's the simple gospel. How many people want revival in the church? Listen, if you want revival, the Lord spoke to me. He said, the only reason we don't have revival in our church is because Christians don't preach the gospel. Matter of fact, when we do an evangelism training in 90% of the places we come, we'll only have about five to 10 people show up. And the reason for that is because they think, oh, that's other people's thing, and people are afraid of it. There are all kinds of different reasons why people don't show up to evangelism training. But it would be one thing if it was one church that, that happened. It's almost every church, to the point where I say, hey, don't call it an evangelism school. Call it a revival conference or something. <laughs> then every, or call it prophetic something. Then everybody will show up. We'll just trick them. <laughs> Listen, the only reason people think that way is because they think evangelism is hard. <laughs> They think that it's about them. Listen, look at your neighbor and say, I'm not the best evangelist. <laughs> Billy Graham was not the best evangelist. Reinhard Bonnke, not the best evangelist. Now look at your neighbor and say, but my best friend is. <laughs> turn, turn in your Bibles to John 16 if you have a Bible. I mean, yeah, John 16. Here's the story about Jesus, right? How many people think that Jesus would be a great advantage in your life? Just a few of you, you wouldn't, not everybody would like Jesus walking with them for three years. How many people think it would be a great advantage to see so many miracles that, that, that John said, if we were to put them all in the Bible and all in these gospels, it, wouldn't, it would fill up all the books in the world. How many people think that would be a great advantage to your life, to your faith? It would increase your faith a little bit, right? How many people think it would increase your faith to see water turned into wine? Or to see a man walking on the water? or to see a storm that's so powerful it can drown everybody, it's a bad storm, and immediately the man says, peace be still, and immediately it's peace. How many people think that would increase your faith? It'd be an advantage to your faith, right? Can we agree that Jesus was an amazing advantage in the disciples' life, right? Big advantage. And yet, when Jesus says in John 16, I'm going away and you're sad, he rebukes them because they're sad. How many people think you'd be sad? Three years of walking with Jesus, he says, I'm going away. We'd be sad too, right? And yet Jesus said, but I tell you, it's to your advantage, say advantage, that I go away. Because if I go away, I'll send to you the helper. Hello, Holy Spirit. Better for you that I go away. Because if I do, I'll send to you the helper. Even better than having Jesus. Listen, if you're still not convinced that Jesus 
was an advantage in the disciples' life. I want you to consider the story of the sons of thunder and the disciples going through the town of Samaria. They're heading through the town of Samaria. Nobody's being hospitable. And so the sons of thunder say, hey, you want us to call down fire from heaven like Elijah did? Man, they understood their authority. They believed that if they called down fire from heaven, that it would actually happen. I don't know any Christians that actually believe that they can call down fire from heaven and it actually happened on a city. And that's probably a good thing. Because <laughs> we probably wouldn't have Las Vegas anymore. California be burned completely up. Come on, everything would be burned up by now. Because, listen, just like the disciples, Jesus was their advantage that day, right? They understood their authority. They understood the Bible. Listen, they said, they looked. They know the Bible. Listen, there's precedence. Look, Elijah did it. It's in the Bible, see? They understand their authority. They understand the Bible. But good thing that Jesus was with them, right? He was their advantage. That day he said, not a good idea, boys. Paraphrase. You don't know what spirit you're of. You don't know what spirit you're of. For the Son of Man didn't come to kill men's lives. The Son of Man came to what? Save men's lives. See, do we know what spirit we're of? See, if we don't know what spirit we're of, then we don't know what our assignment is. The Great Commission is not the great suggestion. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. Say preach. Preach, preach means proclaim with words. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God, but how can they hear unless somebody preaches? Jesus said in John 14, if you love me, then you'll obey my commandments. You can't say you love God if you don't obey God. And the Great Commission is not the great suggestion. Selah. Come on. Listen, repentance is not a bad word. Repentance is an invitation. Repentance is a gift. It's a gift to change the way that we think. Come on, to, to change the way that we think about ourselves, to change the way that we think about our assignment. Listen, everywhere that Jesus preached, he, people had to repent. I'm not, I'm not saying this in a, such a way to bring shame or condemnation. I'm, I'm, I'm saying what I'm saying to call us all up higher. I wanna see revival. Just like you said you wanna see revival, I wanna see revival. Jesus told me, he said, the only reason we don't see revival is because Christians don't preach the gospel. If I could just get 10 people in any congregation to preach the gospel to one person a day for 90 days, 900 people would hear the gospel in 90 days. That's only if they preach it to one person and only 10 people. We got way more than that here. Just 10 of you. Become a doer of the word and not just a hearer. Just preach the gospel to one person a day for 90 days. 900 people hear the gospel in 90 days. If 10% get saved, then 90 people get saved every 90 days. If only 5% commit to being baptized and becoming disciples and coming to this church, your church grows by 45 brand new believers. That's if they don't bring any of their friends and family. 45 brand new believers, not transfer growth because they like to worship better, literally brand new Believers every 90 days. Over 130 people every year. Most churches say we're in revival at that point. I'm telling you, the only reason we don't see revival is because Christians don't preach the gospel. So these disciples say, hey, you want us to call down fire from heaven like Elijah? Jesus said, not a good idea, boys. You don't know what spirit you're of. For the Son of Man didn't come to kill men's life. The Son of Man came to save men's lives. But I wanna submit something to you. The only reason that Jesus was an advantage in their life that day is because they obeyed him. They didn't say, whatever, Jesus, it's in the Bible. Fire! 
No, you think, that's ridiculous. Why would they do that? It's Jesus Christ. You're gonna just ignore Jesus Christ? Stupid. <laughs> Duh, they, they obeyed him. But Jesus said, it's to your advantage that I go away. Even better that I go away so that the Holy Spirit comes. Let me ask you a question. How often have you disobeyed the Holy Spirit? Holy Spirit says, hey, go talk to that person. Hey, he's highlighted to you. Hey, go pray for that person. All of a sudden, you're drawn to a person, and for whatever reason, we don't obey the Holy Spirit. You know how we take advantage of our advantage? See, Jesus told me, you tell the church everywhere that you go, if you start taking advantage of your advantage, then we'll see Jesus get his full reward. It's the Holy Spirit that's the greatest advantage, uh, our, our greatest advantage. He's the greatest evangelist. Matter of fact, you might say, I'm weak in evangelism. I say, good. Because in your weakness, his strength is made perfect. It's not about you, it's about the Holy Spirit. People say, well, I'm an introvert, you're an extrovert. What if I don't know what to say? I, 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 you say I, I, I a lot, like it's about you. But in my reading of the Bible, when you choose to follow Christ, you choose to lay down your life. When you choose to get baptized, you go under the water, you die with Christ. You come out of that water and now your life's no longer your own, but you're hidden in Christ. Your life's not your own, it's not about you, it's about Christ in you. How many people think that Christ in you is a powerful evangelist? We're not lacking anything. Sometimes I think we misappropriate like what the Bible means when it talks about the gifts so that we can properly relate to each other and then we, we actually take what our responsibility is off of ourselves and put it on somebody else. Basically, it's a misunderstanding. Come on, I'm telling you right now, this is, this, is, this is a joyful ministry that we're all called to. And we get to, we don't have to. We can't help ourselves. Once you understand the love of God and you receive the love of God, we love him because he first loved us. That's 1 John 4. If you receive the love of God and you don't have a receiving problem, you won't ever have a problem obeying God. We take advantage of our advantage by obedience. We obey the Holy Spirit, quick obedience, quickly. We learn how to hear his voice in the secret place because the secret place is the practice place for the marketplace. Come on, you shut your door in prayer and you learn how to hear God in the place of prayer in the secret place. And then everywhere that you walk, you walk in the abiding prayer life and you quickly obey the Holy Spirit. And it's in that obedience that the power comes. Faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word of God. We hear the, the word of God. We hear the spoken word of God and we obey God. We know the word of God written and we obey what it says. Come on. And there's power that's attached to that. We get to do this. Come on, amen. We gotta take advantage of our advantage if we're gonna see Jesus get his full reward. You see, the Bible says that the spirit of God was inside of Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their sins against us. And now we've been given the ministry of reconciliation. That is your ministry. Say, I have a ministry. It's the ministry of reconciliation. It's true. That's our ministry. It's to reconcile the world to the Father. So we get to do this. We don't have to do this. Tell you a story. Anybody ever hear the Azusa Now gathering? It was the 100 year or 110 year anniversary of the Azusa Street revival. If you've never studied that revival, it was a famous revival that happened in the early 1900s. The catalyst was a one eyed black man, born the son of slaves, 
an incredible man. At that point in time, there was segregation still happening and the color line was washed in the bloodline. Multiple different uh, races came together, women, men. It was a powerful revival. And, and they say, his, historians say that one billion people can draw their spiritual inheritance back to that revival. And the great thing about that is that William Seymour, I believe one of the reasons he was entrusted to be a catalyst is because he refused to let offense take root in his heart. <laughs> in the middle of you know, racism, in the middle of all the stuff that was happening, he kept his heart pure. And he refused to let offense take root in his heart. He overcame. It's a different topic, a different message for a different day. But anyway, I was flying in to, to celebrate that 110-year anniversary. Lou Engle had sold his house to buy the field, to buy the football field. Literally sold his house and used the money to get the, the football field, to celebrate this, to honor the prophetic word that, from Smith Wigglesworth that in 110 years, another end-time revival would begin. A man of faith. And so I'm flying in, and as I'm flying in in the airplane, I hear the Lord say, read out loud Matthew 5 on the airplane. And remember, slow obedience is disobedience. Now, it's not my top scripture that I would choose to preach an evangelism message. You're the light of the world. The city on the hill cannot be hidden. Neither did they light a lamp and place it under a basket of fear. That doesn't say fear, but that's what came out. As I'm preaching, I know what the word says. I've read it a thousand times. I memorized Matthew 1 through 7. I was a Baptist boy. I knew it genealogy and all. I've read it thousands of times. It doesn't say fear. It says, neither do they light a lamp and place it under a basket, but they put it on a lampstand that it would give light to all who are in the house. That's what it says. But it came out, neither do they light a lamp and place it under a basket of fear. And as soon as it came out fear, I heard the Holy Spirit speak to me. He said, the main basket that the church puts their light under is a basket of fear. He said, I want you to tell the church everywhere that you go that there's a cost to putting your light under a basket of fear. People's lives are at stake. And he reminded me of a story that had happened a few years earlier. I was in Redding, California, and I was having liquid heaven in a cup, otherwise known as coffee. <laughs> I love coffee. I love craft coffee. I'm in the cafe. I'm getting me some liquid heaven and um, I'm with my friend. We step out of the cafe, and I see a couple in a, in a car. It's a green car, and they're screaming, and they're yelling at each other. I mean, the spit is flying. They're screaming. I mean, her neck vein's even bulging out. I tell guys, man, if you see her neck vein bulge out, just be quiet. She ain't listening to you anyway, man. I mean, it's a, it's, it's, it's a bad fight, right? Like, basic emotional intelligence tells you, leave them alone. Like, it's not a good time. But I have a core belief in my heart that there's not a problem in the world that doesn't have a solution. And I might not know what the solution is, but my advantage, my best friend does. Come on. And if I'm gonna activate the supernatural in my life, I've gotta go to the edge of my abilities. I gotta go to the edge of the natural of what I can do. I gotta add my, all I can do in the natural, and he adds his super to my natural. I gotta go to the edge of my abilities and let him show up. I gotta go to the place of no return. Come on. And so I see this happening. I, don't, I just see the problem. You get authority for what you take responsibility for. 
I just see the problem and I know that I have an assignment to see heaven come to earth. I know that wherever there's deep darkness, the glory of the Lord has arisen upon me, come on, to shine in the midst of the darkness. So I see the problem and I just trust the Holy Spirit and I, and I feel led by the Spirit in some ways because I see the problem. So I walk up boldly, say boldly. boldly. See, the main evidence that you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit isn't necessarily just that you speak in tongues, although I love speaking in tongues. is isn't just that you prophesy, although I love to prophesy and they are evidences. According to my reading of the scripture, it's power. And also one of the evidence is boldness to be a witness. And you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you shall be witness of me both in Jerusalem and beyond. This is what happens when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. See, I think a lot of Christians have had a learned behavior experience and not a true baptism in power. And the evidence is that there's not evangelism as a lifestyle. Come on, make you hungry. Don't get mad at me, just get hungry. Just get hungry. Get hungry that tonight will be your night that God touches you. Get hungry because hunger represents humility and God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Man, may you get hungry tonight for a fresh encounter. Your yesterday encounter's not enough. In Acts chapter two, they get baptized in power. In Acts chapter four, they needed another one. Come on, you need another one. Say there is more. Thank you, Jesus, that there is more. So I walk up to the window, I knock on the window boldly. At this point, I see the dude is like muscles upon muscles, skinhead, tattoos everywhere. He was mad at his wife, now he's mad at me. What? Fear. I feel fear. Notice I didn't say I am afraid or I was afraid. That's an identity statement. People say, well, I'm afraid, I'm, a, I'm fearful, I was afraid. No, you're not, you're a child of God. You can't be a child of God and be afraid at the same time. You can feel fear, that's different. See, the Bible says you've not been given a spirit of bondage, say spirit, spirit. of bondage again to fear, but you've been given a spirit of adoption by whom you cry out, Abba, you're a child of God. As many as received him, John chapter one, he gives the right to become what? Children of God. I'm a child of God. I'm a child of love. And love cast out a little bit of fear, right? Love cast out how much fear? All. all fear. Listen, I'm loved by God. I'm a child of God. The blood of Jesus testifies. All of my sins have been washed away. I'm righteous because of the blood of God. I am a child of God. When he looks at me, he sees Jesus. I'm perfect. He's washed away my sins. As far as the east is from the west, Psalm 103 says, like a father pities his children, so he pities those who fear him. He doesn't remember our sins anymore. Come on, you're in Christ now. You're a new creation, no longer a sinner, a saint. That's who you are. You're not afraid. You can't be afraid. You're a child of God. See, but courage isn't the absence of the feeling of fear. In another place, the Bible says, you've not received a spirit, say again, a spirit, of fear, but of power, love, and of a sound mind. Both verses call fear a spirit that you've not been given. It's not your Lord. You have a spirit that is your God. God is a spirit, and he's, a, he's the spirit of love. God is love, and God is a spirit, Colossians 1, and he's invisible, but his invisible attributes, according to Colossians 1, is clearly seen in the person of Jesus Christ. 
So love looks like something to put on flesh and blood and it dwelt amongst us and that's who you are. You're in his image. He's the firstborn amongst many. You're a new creation. You're, the, you're love with flesh and blood on. You're not thinking about yourself because you've died to yourself. To live is Christ. To die is gain, right? That's what we believe. We're Christians. I might feel fear, but courage isn't the absence of the feeling of fear. Courage is not letting fear tell you what to do. It's not your Lord. It's a different spirit. I'm led by the spirit of God. As many who are led by the spirit of God are the what? Children or the sons of God. Not as many who are led by their feelings. I don't feel like it. I don't care what you feel like. You've been given the spirit of self-control. Control yourself to do what you know is right. Control yourself to overcome fear. Run through fear, not from fear. So I feel fear in that moment. And I go into emergency tongues on the inside. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Oh God, 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 God. You gotta tell me something. You gotta tell me something. You gotta tell me something. You don't tell me something. I'm gonna make it up. And we've been given the mind of Christ. And if you're love, sometimes what you think might be a word of knowledge. Sometimes it might be you. But I'm gonna take a risk that in love, if I step out, I'm hearing God. And I'm gonna have the humility to say if I missed it but I'd rather miss it with the motivation of love than to miss it because I'm disobedient, because I'm in unbelief. Beware lest you have an evil heart of unbelief. I'm more afraid of having unbelief that I can't hear God than I'm having belief that I am hearing God, but I might miss it because I'm a child learning how to hear God. Come on, we gotta stop taking ourselves so seriously. God's not taking you that seriously. Trust me, he's infinite, like we're finite. Like he's not taking you so seriously. Take all the pressure off. Step out and take a risk in love and believe that you're hearing God and you'll prophesy more. Come on, we gotta create a culture of prophecy where it's safe, a culture where we're all prophesying. I, I wish that you all would prophesy. This has been God's dream from the beginning. He'll pour out his spirit and sons and daughters will prophesy. How many are sons and daughters? Come on, we wanna prophesy, not so that we can build ourselves up, but so that we can encourage the body so that the secrets of men's heart can be revealed so that we can win souls. Eagerly desire, lust after the gifts, especially that you would prophesy. Don't let a false prophet persuade you away from prophecy. Let it push you into the true. Come on. <laughs> so I'm like, God, 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 you gotta give me something. You gotta give me something. If you don't give me something, I'm gonna make it up. Slight little thought goes through my head. Sometimes the voice of God can feel like a thought or a phrase. And it's ask him about his daughter. Ask him about their daughter. Sometimes we think it's gonna be a long drawn out statement that God's gonna speak to us, but oftentimes it's a word or a phrase. And if you step out with that word or phrase, he'll give you the more. We prophesy according to the measure of our faith. I'm believing that I'm hearing God, so I'm stepping out with what I've got. And when I step out with what I got, he gives me the more. So I say, hey man, roll down the window. He's like, and he's doing this. And I'm like, oh God. He rolls down, I said, man, I don't mean to be disrespectful or anything. I'm a Christian and I hear God's voice. And I felt like I heard the Lord tell me to knock on your window, even though you're arguing and ask you about your daughter and to tell you that you're important to her life. Simple word but the spirit of God was backing me up. And immediately he begins to cry. And on the inside, I went, yes. <laughs> you know, you got him when you see those tears. 
He can't talk after that. I'm like, what's going on? He can't talk. They're beside each other. They're both like wailing at this point. After a few minutes, they come out of it and they say, today we were gonna go commit couple suicide. And we were arguing about what we were gonna do with our daughter once we were gone. You see, fast forward, I'm in the airplane. The Lord says, tell the church that there's a cost to putting their light under a basket of fear. People's lives are at stake. You got 16-year-old guys that don't have a dad in their life and they're drinking their life away. And the world might just see somebody who's robbing houses that's fighting, that's violent, and they're drunk, but really I just didn't know what I didn't know. And they're Christians all around me and they're keeping their faith to themselves and I don't know what they know. I'm only walking the light that I have. I'm angry because I don't know the love of God and yet we're the light of the world. There's Christians everywhere living apathetically. They're not burning. They're not loving God with all of their heart because if they did, evangelism would be natural. And yet God is calling the church to a place of repentance. John baptized with water unto repentance. And they said, are you the son of God? He said, I'm not him. I'm not even willing or worthy to unstrap his sandal. But when he comes, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and what? Fire. The context for the baptism of the Holy Spirit and fire is repentance. And I'm telling you, the church is being called right now in this hour to a place of repentance that we would be holy as our God is holy. Set apart, no compromise, because compromise is stealing the confidence of the church. Come on, I'm telling you, this is not who we are as a body. We gotta begin to preach the gospel. There is a cost to putting your light under a basket of fear. Not only that, but courage inspires courage. All throughout the scriptures, all the giant killers were friends with David. Courage inspires courage. My friends saw this happen. He looks at that, he sees that, he's weeping, he's crying, he gets so excited, he's like, I gotta go tell somebody about Jesus right now. I gotta go tell somebody about Jesus. He looks through the parking lot, sees a guy with a yellow Walkman, you know, the old school tape Walkmans. This guy's trucking across the parking lot, chain smoking a cigarette, doing this. And my friend's like, hey, hey, hey. The guy's either ignoring him or can't hear him because of his Walkman. My friend takes off across the parking lot, full sprint. I mean, if that guy would've turned around, he would've, hit him or something, you know, like takes off full sprint, taps the guy on the shoulder. Courage inspires courage. The guy's like, what? What do you want, man? What do you want? My friend doesn't know what he's going to say. Here's another practical piece of advice. If you don't know what you're going to say, tell a testimony. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Say, I have a testimony. Now say, I've been given enough. If you're faithful with what you've been given, he'll give you more. How many people want more? Come on, you've been given enough. I was sharing the gospel with nothing but John 3, 16, a cheeseburger and my testimony. Christians go for conference to conference, praying more money and more money and more schools and more schools and going to get another impartation prayer and yet they're not even being faithful with what they've been given. If you're faithful with what you've been given, God will give you the more, trust me. In his sovereignty, he can do whatever he wants. He can touch the person that's not hungry. And I know that there's exceptions. My experience is the people who are faithful and hungry for what they've been given and hungry for the more, they get the more. Come on. Jesus. My friend taps him on the shoulder, doesn't know what he's gonna say. So he says, you'll never believe what just happened over there. He tells a testimony. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. It creates an atmosphere. Listen, you don't have a beautiful worship band playing the keys and the, and the pad, creating an atmosphere for the miraculous when you're on the streets. But it doesn't mean you can't create an atmosphere. 
You start telling a testimony, you create an atmosphere for God to do it again. So Paul, so my friend Tommy says, you'll never believe what happened. And he tells the guys the story of what just happened. That guy begins to weep and cry. Listen, you can't make this stuff up. He said, I was on my way to kill myself right now. My friend Tom shares his testimony and the guy gets radically born again on the spot. I don't know if you heard that. He got radically born again on the spot. Three people in 20 minutes. We weren't even on outreach. We were there to get coffee. Say, it's fun to be a Christian. If you follow the Holy Spirit, this thing's not boring. God's not a cosmic buzzkill trying to steal your fun. Listen, you'll never experience the abundant life unless you get out of the kiddie pool area. Come on, jump in over your head. Go deep in the river. Listen, trust God. It's not about you. It's about Christ in you. Just activate your faith. Go out and make some messes every now and then and let the Lord teach you. Children make messes. We're learning. Who cares? Stop taking ourselves so seriously. Let's just give the Holy Spirit something to work with. Let's stop making excuses. Listen, it's not about introvert, extrovert. It's just about believers. Come on, I've seen some of the most powerful evangelists be the most introverted people I've ever met. Trust me. God wants to baptize you in love tonight. He wants to baptize you in the fire tonight. I believe that with all of my heart that God's gonna touch many of you and, none of, and many of you will never be the same after tonight. I want you to begin, even as I'm ministering right now, begin to stir up a faith for the more. Begin to stir up a faith and a hunger for the more that God would touch you tonight. I'm gonna share another testimony here in a minute and I'm gonna pray for many of you. But I want you to keep your eyes on the, on the baptizer, Jesus. He will baptize you with the, with the Holy Spirit and fire. I'm just gonna bless what I see Jesus already doing. I'm gonna bless the ones who are pressing in hungry and I can see there being evidence that the Holy Spirit is touching them tonight. I'm gonna bless what I see Jesus doing tonight. How many people wanna win souls? He who wins souls is wise. Anybody wanna be wise? Anyone wanna be like Jesus? Jesus said, I was sent to seek and to save that which is lost. And now as I have been sent, so I send you. 95% of evangelism is discipleship. If we're gonna see the revival that we're pressing in for, we gotta get out of the, of, of, the, of the comfortable Christianity. We gotta be willing to be hospitable. Trust me, there is no shortcut to discipleship. It happens at your dinner table. That's why I think it's so profound what you're doing, just breaking bread together. Listen, because in that place, people get to see how you raise your kids. They get to see how you treat your wife. They get to see how you do life. What do you do when you make a mistake? How do you ask for forgiveness? They, they get to see what a Christian household looks like. That's how discipleship happens, by observation. Come on. We graft them into the family of God. The kingdom of God is a family. God loves you. That's the reality. You can't do anything to earn the love of God you wake up every day with an A plus if you're in Christ. You can't earn it. This is not a works thing. Literally, you, by the grace of God, have been saved, not by works, lest any man should boast. You're his worksmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, prepared beforehand that you should walk in them. You're a, you're a beautiful new creation, and you're righteous because of the blood of Jesus. Just as Abraham believed it unto God, and it was, a, and it was accounted to him righteousness, you believe unto the Lord, and it is accounted to you righteous. Say, I'm righteous. The righteous are as bold as a lion. Boldness is not a personality type. Boldness is a yes in your heart. Boldness is that the fact that you have said, I will never say no to the Holy Spirit again. I will only say yes. Boldness is not a personality type. Boldness is a yes in your heart because you realize that you're right with God and if you're right with God, no one else's opinion matters. 
Come on. I'm telling you, if we believe that we're righteous, we'll step out, man. If we believe in the affirmation of God, we'll step out. God loves you because he loves you, because he loves you, because he loves you. That's the reality. He loves you. I remember as a young man named Richard, I was discipling back in YWAM. Rough background. Dad was in and out of jail and an addict. His mom was an addict to heroin. Didn't have hardly any money, but his grandparents sent him a PlayStation for Christmas. It was his escape from the pain of life, getting into that game world. So many kids are escaping from pain. They're escaping from everything that's going around just in that game world. And he would escape in that game world, you know, all throughout the Christmas break. He goes back to school. He gets off of the school. He runs home. He can't wait to play his game. He can't find his game anywhere. It's gone. He can't find it anywhere. His brothers, by the way, are in gangs all over uh, California in the San Jose area. Bad, violent gangs. He's looking for his PlayStation everywhere. Can't find it. Goes into his mother's room, opens up the door, and he sees his mother overdosing on heroin, foaming at the mouth and everything, and he's, she's shaking. And so he, he he's immediately starts crying. He calls the paramedics. He calls his brothers. His brothers beat the paramedics to the house, and they take him. And they say, quit that crying. Get up right now. We got to get out of here. Social services is coming. They're going to try to get him before social services come. And he can't quit crying. So they beat him. Man up. This is life. Quit that crying, you sissy. And they beat him. Fast forward, he's 16 years old. He's in the discipleship program. His, his grandparents are sitting there. And I'm discipling him. Immediately, I read his profile and I get a heart for this boy. I love this boy. Presence of God starts coming. People are laughing. Some people are, are crying. Some people are falling down. My buddy Richard, he's over here in the corner doing this. Mm, mm. Like, that's a weird manifestation of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> I done been to global events. I done been to Bethel. You know, that's weird though. That's a weird one. That looks like he's constipated or something, you know? I let him happen a couple days. After a few days, Holy Spirit comes and I see him doing that again. I'm like, I go up to him. Hey, Richard, why are you doing that, man? Is that the Holy Spirit? Is that a manifestation? He said, nah, man, that's how I stopped my tears. And he told me the story I just told you when he decided he'll never cry again. I took him into the bathroom and I said, look at yourself in the mirror. And I read him the shortest verse in the Bible. Jesus wept. And then I read him about how Paul, with many tears, he wept. And different heroes throughout the scriptures wept. And I said, real men do weep. Men of God do weep. And I said, matter of fact, I'm gonna tell you something that's true. And you're gonna feel the Holy Spirit in a minute. And I want you to let your wall down. I want you just to release it all to the Lord. All those years of not crying, I want you just to go ahead and release it to the Lord. Be a real man. Weep if you feel like it. And I said, I'm gonna tell you something really simple. God is love and God so loved the world that he gave his son. God so loved you, Richard, that he just loves you because he loves you. And I'm gonna declare this over every person in this building right now. God loves you because he loves you, 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 just because he loves you, because he loves you, because he loves you, because he loves you, just because he loves you, because he loves you, because he loves you 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 just because he loves you because he loves you because he loves you because he loves you he's always loved you he's always gonna love you and there's nothing you can do about it yeah. 
Richard went from the guy who never cries to the guy who always cries. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You could just say the name of Jesus and like, oh, I love it. Bill Johnson says it's a good heart test for him. He doesn't like to go more than two days without tears. Wants his heart to remain tender. I love that. Oftentimes, these people that's heart is tender like that. One of my favorite people on the planet is Richard Holcomb, a man of God, a prophet, man of God, business guy in Texas. Every time you talk about Jesus, <laughs> crying, 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 just tears rolling down his face, and he's such a man of God. And Richard was the greatest student I had, man. I mean, he would leave at atmosphere like this and go lead five people to Jesus and bring them back. And then leaders are going to lead one way or the other. He was leading everybody into the deeper things of God until about two weeks from the end of the school. All of a sudden he starts rebelling. Something shifted in him. Anything he could do to get in trouble, he was getting in trouble. He was staying out past curfew. He was doing anything and everything. And I'd give him a chance and chance and a chance. And, and the reality is because he's a leader, he was taking all the other students deeper in, in the wrong way. I'm supposed to send these students back to their parents on fire, you know, in love with Jesus. And I'm sending them back worse because of Richard. And I'm like, man, for the sake of everybody else, I'm gonna have to, I'm gonna have to send Richard home. My heart's breaking because I love him. And I'm so glad for my co-leader. She's a, she was a woman named Nick Sales, beautiful woman. And I went to her and I said, I'm gonna have to send Richard home. I'm so glad for her heart because she understands the heart of the father. See, Christians, we give up too easy on people. Love never, say never, never. fails. Disciples say, how many times did we forgive? Seven times seven. In other words, until it's complete. They do it again, forgive them. They did it again, forgive them. They did it again, forgive them. They did it again, forgive them. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Mercy. She said, Richie, just give him one more chance. I said, okay, one more chance. I go down into the basement where he's at. I said, Richard, at my opening line, Richard, why are you doing this, bro? I love you. He explodes at me. I don't even know what love is. You say you love me. You say God loves me. I don't even know what love is. I'm so glad for my advantage, the Holy Spirit in that moment. Because I explode back in his face. I said, there's a gang member right here, Richard. He's got a gun. Either you get take the bullet or I take the bullet. You get the choice, Richard. Who's taking the bullet? No, Richard, don't look down. Look at me. Who's taking the bullet, Richard? You choose. And with tears running down his face, Richard said, I take that bullet for you. I said, don't you dare tell me you don't know what love is. You just love me. See, love looks like something. Love looks like something. And our generation, love is so cheap. Love is, people talk about love in all different ways, but love looks like something. Love looks like God himself becoming a human being, even humbling himself to, to a baby, nursing on his own mother's breast. Love looks like something. Can you help me for a minute? Is that all right? Love looks like something. Love looks like Jesus hanging on a cross. God himself hanging on a cross. They've beaten him. The Bible said he was marred beyond recognition. This is God. He said, no one takes my life from me. I give it up freely. He said, I can get 10,000s of angels, legions of angels to come to my defense. But the Bible says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. The joy set before him. 
That joy set before him was the reconciliation of his creation, his, his beloved humanity, that while we were yet still sinners, he gave his life for us. While we were yet still lost, when we didn't know what we didn't know, when we're only walking in the light that we had, even if we knew what we knew and we walked away from him like the prodigal son, he's waiting for us to come home. He loves us because he loves us. This is what God is like. This is what love looks like. Love looks like God who's all righteous, never done anything wrong. He's perfect love, becoming a human being and subjecting himself. The Bible says he made himself a little lower than the angels. He made himself a little lower than the angels and was tempted in every way that we're tempted. He was rejected and despised. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him and by his stripes we're healed. Here he is in the garden. Peter steps forward, slices a man's ear off. He rebukes Peter. Those who live by the sword, die by the sword, puts the man's ear back on, allows the very people who he knit in their mother's womb to arrest him, blindfold him, punch him in the face, mock him. They ball up the fist he knit in their mother's womb and they punch him in the face with it. And they mock him and they say, if you're really the son of God, tell us who's hitting you. This is our God. This is what love looks like. This is the way, the truth, and the life. This is the one who we have to follow in order to get abundant life. This is our savior, God himself, laying down his life, the sacrificial lamb. And here he is, even to the point of death, they nailed him to the cross. They beat him 39 stripes from the top of his head, neck to the bottoms of his ankles. His back looked like hamburger, marred beyond rep recognition, seriously. Gruesome. His mama wouldn't even recognize him. He's hanging on the cross. They're gambling, rolling dice at the foot of the cross, gambling over his clothes. And he looks up and he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Love looks like something. Love looks like you taking the bullet. No greater love than this than a man lay down his life for his friends. See, this is what it means to be a Christ follower. It's not about you. It's about laying down your life. If you try to save your life, you'll lose your life. But if you lose your life for my sake, then you'll find your life. If you've lost your life, then evangelism is a natural overflow. If it's still about you, then it's still about you. Come on, God's calling us all to a place of the cross. I want you to come to the cross tonight. If you can stand to your feet for a minute. Holy Spirit, come. Come Holy Spirit. You're the one who can fix the world of sin, of righteousness and of judgment. Come Holy Spirit, do what I cannot do. Work in the people's heart today. Lord, let there be a spirit of humility that comes into the room for you resist the proud, but you give grace to the humble. If you don't know the yet the Lord Jesus Christ, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Tonight, you can step into a relationship with God. I've testified that God loves you enough to die for you on the cross. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the wages of our sin is death. But Jesus hung on that cross and paid your debt on that cross. Then he resurrected from the dead. And the Bible says, because he's resurrected, you've been justified, just as though you never sinned. You can be made right with God right now. You can know that you're for completely forgiven. Every sin that you've ever done washed away in the sea of forgetfulness. Your sins washed and you'll be as white as snow right now. Jesus is calling you to be his child right now. 
He chose you even while you're yet still a sinner. You'll never be able to get your life right and then come to God. You can't do it. You gotta come as you are. You gotta come as you are. Come fully humble, knowing you can't do it on your own, but trusting Jesus. If you know that I'm speaking to you and you, don't, and you haven't yet made a decision to follow Christ, at any point as I'm sharing right now, I just want you to lift up your hand and make a declaration. I'm gonna follow Christ. I wanna, I wanna know him. I wanna believe in Jesus. I wanna be a child of God. Maybe you've known God in the past, but right now, if you're to be really honest, you're not following God. There's compromise everywhere in your life right now. And you know that you're far away from him. You loved him more in seasons past, but right now you don't love him with all your heart. You know that you're a prodigal at some level and you wanna come home. I want you to know that he's waiting for you to come home. He's not coming, you're not coming home to a shame thing. You're not coming home to have to work out your salvation. No, he's gonna throw a party for you. He's gonna give you a ring and a robe. He's gonna remind you of who you are. If you know that I'm speaking to you in any of these, I want you to raise your hand quickly right now. Quickly right now. Thank you for your humility, your humility, your humility. Humble, humble. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you. God sees your heart. We'll pray here at the end together. Why don't we pray this right now, all of us together. Jesus, I love you because you love me first. I believe you died on the cross. I believe you resurrected from the dead. I believe you're God. I believe you're alive. And right now, I ask for forgiveness and I commit my life to following you. Be my Lord completely. I renounce every other spirit that I've invited into my life, knowingly or unknowingly. And right now, I receive your Holy Spirit. Fill me with power to be a disciple. Fill me with your power to be a witness, to be holy as you're holy. In Jesus' name. (laughs) The Bible says there's more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over thousands who don't need any repentance. I'm telling you right now, there's such a huge party in heaven. Congratulations to those who prayed that for the first time, or maybe you came home, congratulations. Make sure somebody in this church knows that you made that decision. Well, we're gonna do something that's gonna be an activation for everyone. If anything that I've been talking about today, about the fear of man, has impacted your heart, And you know you haven't been preaching the gospel as a lifestyle. They say over 90% of Christians have never led one person to Christ. And that's because 90% of Christians don't ever preach the gospel. If you know that you have room to repent, I want you to raise your hand right now, quickly. And just come down to the altar. Everyone who raised their hand, that's like most of the room. (laughs) I want you to do business with the Lord right now. Just begin to talk to him. God's not a lip reader, he's a heart reader. He's looking at your heart right now. (laughs) There's something powerful about stepping out of the normal, stepping out of your seat and coming down to the altar in humility for everyone to see. There's something powerful about that. 
Father, we just thank you right now. I thank you for what you're doing. Just begin to talk to the Lord right now. Listen, he's not ashamed of you. He's proud of you. He's proud of your step of humility. He's proud of you right now. He loves you right now. You're a child of God. You're born to be a powerful witness. You're alive. You're born again to be a witness for him. This is who you really are. Father, look upon our weakness and grant to us by your strength that we would be empowered to be witnesses from this day forward. We're saying we no longer wanna live our life in apathy. We don't no longer wanna live our life with compromise. God, we wanna be holy. We wanna be witnesses. We wanna be powerful witnesses. We wanna testify. Even as the apostle Paul said, I shall not be ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe. Lord, I'm asking that you would release an impartation even now as we do this next prophetic act that you would break off the fear of man and that you would release an impartation to the people. God, to be powerful witnesses, to preach the gospel that saves men's souls. Okay, one second. Let's turn off the music real quick. We're gonna do an activation. You guys ready? The Bible says the righteous are as bold as a lion. The righteous are as bold as a lion. Boldness is not a personality type. Boldness is a yes in your heart. And this is just a simple prophetic act between you and the Lord. Don't worry about anyone else to your left or to your right. We're gonna do this prophetic act because God gave me this prophetic act when I was in Australia. And I've seen pastors, I've seen leaders, I've seen thousands of Christians set free as they do this prophetic act. What we're gonna do is we're gonna roar with all of our might. We're gonna shout. For some people, it's better for me. To, I know, we, we're not lions. We don't actually roar. We shout. But that's our roar, okay? But we're gonna shout with all of our hearts. We're gonna, we're gonna roar like lions because the Bible says the righteous are as bold as a lion. And as you begin to do this, for a lot of you, you're gonna be faced with the fear right now. It's a spirit. It's the fear that somebody in the room is gonna see you being a little bit too undignified. Somebody's gonna see you shouting a little too loud. What I want you to do is avoid the temptation to pay attention to anybody else. This is between you and the Lord. You're making a line in the sand saying, no longer will I submit to fear ever again. I will preach the gospel to the lost. I will preach the gospel everywhere I go because I know there's a cost to me not preaching the gospel. I'm gonna give the Holy Spirit something to work with. And this is my line in the sand. I'm gonna roar because it's my identity to be bold like a lion. I'm a child of God, full of the spirit of God, full of the spirit of God who gives me power and love to be a witness. And so as you feel led, I want you to shout with all of your might right now. Freedom, 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 freedom. Freedom! 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 The video. Freedom! Spirit of fear, go now in Jesus' name. Freedom in Jesus' name. Now, how many people felt something lift off of them right now? You might just think that's an emotional experience, but it's not. It's a faith-filled experience. I'm telling you right now, many people come up to me and they testify, something left me. Something came off of me when I did that. In a minute, we're gonna sing this song, and I want you to press in for a baptism in the Holy Spirit. The reason we're gonna sing this song, I believe it's a prophetic song for our generation. It was released at the Azusa Gathering. 
It's called Take Courage by Lindy Conant and the Circuit Riders. And I believe as you sing this song in faith, there'll be live lyrics, there'll be lyrics on the screen to help you. I want you to press in to the Holy Spirit. I want you to press in for that baptism in the Holy Spirit that we talked about. He'll baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire.